Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, English teacher and school principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at at Sarah S.A. Johnson. Be sure to subscribe to the In Awe Podcast so you can join me each week as I feature women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome to November, friends. Can you believe there are only two months left of 2020? We have much to accomplish during this time on the podcast, and this month's theme is bound to give us a boost with its energy and supportive atmosphere. This month's theme is on mentorship, and our guiding quote comes from Oprah Winfrey. A mentor is someone who allows you to see the hope inside yourself. My deepest wish is that this series revitalizes that hope that someone once poured into you in mentorship as you hear the awe-inspiring stories we share this month. Let's get it started with our first guest. Emily Pascal has served as a teacher, district coach, school administrator, professional learning trainer, and motivational speaker. Her passions lie in teaching, learning, and serving others. She leads a nationwide group of administrators through supportive social media sites with shared ideas, information, and motivation. She is best known for founding the LMAP Network, where she offers various opportunities for administrators to experience a live exchange of best practices and fresh ideas. Her work is recognized around the world from educators who desire to learn how to create a climate and culture that promotes excellence. Emily's innovative methods for driving student engagement, promoting academic rigor, and stimulating excitement about school has created a ripple effect in others across the country. In this episode, we discuss Emily's role in mentoring through the hashtag LMAP network chat. We discuss her book, Multiply Excellence, The Eyes on Culture, as well as some shared mentors we have in our own network. And Emily shares a personal and important story from her experience of infertility and adoption, highlighting a significant way that she mentors in her personal life. This conversation was powerful for me during it and as I listened back to it in the editing process. When we consider the power of mentors in our own lives, as well as the way we can work to serve others by mentoring, there's so much to be noticing. I am excited to share with you Emily Pascal's mentorship story. Welcome, Emily Pascal, to the In Awe Podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you and share you with my listeners. How are you doing tonight? Welcome. I am doing great. Thanks for having me. I am honored to be here. Thanks for asking. Oh, it's an honor to have you. So would you do me a favor? Because there's a possibility that my listeners may not know about you or they might not know what you're currently up to. Do you want to share a little bit about your current context? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am currently an assistant principal in an elementary school. And so my background um, is all centered around mainly elementary world of I was a first grade teacher, third grade teacher and fifth grade teacher. I've been a district math uh, coach for our school system. And now I'm in my second year as an assistant principal. That's so cool. I love that progression. And um, what was your favorite grade to work with when you were a classroom teacher? It's hard to every job that I've had, I say this is my favorite job. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I think that I just love education, you know, and I love new challenges and, and facing new things to learn about. But probably my favorite grade, oh, I loved them all, but probably third grade. It was just that sweet spot of they're a little more um, independent. And I loved the content that I got to teach. And so I would say third. Hmm. So I have a third grader at home right now doing virtual learning. So once we get off this call, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to get text and you're going to be my my go-to coach. How about that? I'd be happy to. I was a district math specialist, actually. So if you need some help with math, just let me know. <laughs> oh, God answered my prayers tonight. 
<laughs> I was a high school English teacher, so it's really funny. Um, and I always say to her that, well, honey, you know, you got me. So we're going to get this third grade math. I know it's important. And and, uh, and we just kind of chuckle because it seems like she's patting my back more often than not saying, mom, we got this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but all right. Well, okay. So let's dive in a little bit. We are featuring you here on the mentorship series, and I'm really excited because I just think you have a lot of really beautiful wisdom and nuggets to share. And I want to know more about your journey in a couple of different ways. So, if we could just start out first with your um, the Twitter chat that you started with the AP Network. Do you want to talk about that and how you serve other leaders in that chat? When I first became an assistant principal, and I even felt this when I was a district coach, when you're in roles like that, you are on an island. And I quickly realized, whoa, there is no other person in this building that is in the same role as me. And there was only four other elementary assistant principals in my school system because not every school has an AP. And so I just was looking for, you know, who can I network with? Who can I work with to bounce ideas off of? And so one Saturday, well, let me back up. Um, On a Friday afternoon, I get this phone call at school one day from Adam Welcome, who wrote Kids Deserve It. And I had never met him before, but he had seen he had seen me on Twitter. And so he calls and he's like, I've just been seeing things on Twitter that you're doing. This is awesome. Tell me how your year's going. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and so then he, I was telling him, I felt like I was on an island and he was like, why don't you start a network? And so that Saturday morning, I just got on there and I was like, hey, if you're an assistant principal, let me know. And we're, I'm starting a boxer group and we can, we can build relationships with one another, make connections and move forward. So I did. And it took off. I mean, like within within an hour, I mean, it had hundreds and hundreds of retweets, you know, and I was I mean, hundreds of people from across the country, even across the world, ended up joining this network. And so I soon after about a week later, started doing a weekly Twitter chat, because that was something that we all felt that we needed. And so, um, yeah, it's every Monday night at eight o'clock central. It's the E-L-E-M-A-P network. And uh, it's been one of the best things that could have ever happened for me. And I hope they feel the same, that we can just help one another through this journey. I love your story so much. And anytime you bring up Adam, he's so wonderful. He's been a part of my journey too and consider him a friend. And I'll still never forget the phone call that I received from him as well. First one and what a powerful nod to mentorship in general on this series to be able to talk about somebody who just, you know, checks in on you and, hey, why don't you just start a chat? And it's just this idea that maybe mentors make us think about things we never would have on our own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just about, it's about getting in the trenches together and, you know, and learning through this journey together. And when we're on islands, it's not doing yourself a favor or others a favor because we all have different gifts to offer each other and we can benefit so much from just joining in (laughs) uh, together, getting through it. That's so true. So what do you think has been maybe a couple of the prevailing topics on that chat? What are the things that people are looking most for to connect through that? Oh, that's a good question. Well, lately I was, for the first year, I led all of them, you know, just because that consistency, you know, they knew who to look for in the moderating. And this school year, I've really been reaching out to others, you know, to to um, lead the chat because they come up with topics and questions that I might not have thought of. And so every week it's interesting because it's, it's a lot of times, whatever is on that person's mind, you know, like um, sometimes it's about self-care, which I've noticed is uh, over the past few months, that's been a big one (laughs) that people have needed is just stop 
in your tracks and let's take care of yourself first and make yourself aware of that we need to slow down because this has been such a hard year. So that's a big one. Um, also about how to recognize when others need the care or, you know, when others need um, checking in on and how to take care of people that you're serving each day. Um in the coaching role is another big one that that people have requested chats on is just knowing how to um, help someone through their weaker areas in a positive way without without breaking them down. And so that's been some of the major hot topics this year. Also relevant, <laughs> obviously. I have a little soft spot for self-care and leaders, and um, I just really appreciate the service that you're doing. I love that uh, your mentorship story in that Twitter chat has evolved into you now getting others the voice. And it really does is a perfect segue to talk about how you're leading in another space. You know, you're multiplying other people through your mentorship of that Twitter chat. And now how exciting you've got a book out, Multiply Excellence in Your School, Eyes on Culture. You want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So um, I always, you know, and I'm sure we all have felt like this, like, oh, it'd be so cool. Not everybody, but it would be cool to write a book one day, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so, but I never knew that it would happen at 33 years old. And so um, one day it was last November, I got a call from Jimmy Casas and he was, uh, he had, I'd only met him one time, but he had seen the things going on with the AP network and, and he reached out and he said, you know, I just want to talk to you about a book opportunity. And so he presented that to me and I was like, you know, and he said, take about two weeks, you know, think on it and think about what you would want it to be about. And I thought, okay. So then, um, you know, I, I work on it. I kind of work on an outline and I send it to he and Jeff Zoll and who owned the new publishing company connect ed. And, uh, we signed a contract soon after that and I worked on it. And so the book is centered around, um, you know, that we can strive for excellence ourselves. And that does absolutely need to be our goal that we, that we just constantly strive to be better. But our goal in life is that we've got to be figuring out a way to multiply it in others, because if we aren't spreading it into others, then what's our purpose? And so that's what it's about. And um, so you'll see throughout the book that I talk about, it has, it's, it's laid out like Jimmy's book, Culturize, in his four core principles um, that, that make up a positive school culture of Merchant of Hope, Champion for Kids, Carry the Banner. And so then he, um, that whole book is laid out in that way, but you'll see as I cycle throughout the book that I constantly talk about, here's how we can do this with kids and multiply excellence in kids. Here's how we can multiply excellence in ourselves or in teachers, but also the parents, because I think a lot of times we leave them out of the factor and we can't just make the parents' circumstances the excuse for not reaching out and helping them become better for their own child. And so you'll kind of just see that cycle throughout the book that, that I bring all three of those categories up. First of all, thank you for sharing the evolution of how that book came to be. And I love what you said that not everybody, you know, maybe everybody wants to write a book, but (laughs) anybody who's listening, who's desiring to do that, um, and maybe those who have been through the process, it very much is kind of a dream. And then you feel like you've, you know, you've done this labor of love, which is just so intense going through that process. Congratulations. It's not as sexy as everybody thinks, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but the most rewarding. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> there you go. That's awesome. And and really cool too, because probably without even meaning it, you've just highlighted one of the most beautiful, wonderful mentors that God ever gave me, um, Jimmy, also to you, because when you think about that powerful story is the fact that here you have this person that you met one time who's kind of watching what you're doing and says, hey, let's do something with this. What a beautiful mentorship story in itself with what he and Jeff are doing with their own life purposes. I just think that's awesome. So I want to make sure to shout that out. They are just absolutely incredible. And they were so supportive. And um, I grew so much through that entire journey um, by their example, by, you know, their feedback and um, just their positivity and support. It just, yes, I have so much respect for those two. So shout out huge, big time to them. <laughs> That's awesome. And listeners have heard me maybe mention a time or two, but I, I work for Jimmy as one of his associates. So I get to coach principals in his um, coaching model. And so I'm very much familiar with the Culture Eyes. And listeners, if you haven't picked up Culture Eyes, you've got to pick up Culture Eyes. Such a good book. And I'm so excited that you've written this beautiful companion that is able to go deeper into what this could mean. And so so I'm excited to check it out and to hear a little bit more about it. What do you think, out of curiosity, I didn't prep you for these questions, but what do you think was the easiest part of that book to write? Like which ones, which, um, you know, piece spoke most to you? Which one is most meaningful to you? Um, I think that, so when I wrote this book, I wanted it to be, there was two big goals that I wanted to have. You know, I've read a lot of books before and it gives you the, what I call the what, like, here's what you can do. But sometimes the a missing piece is the how, like, okay, you know, this is great, but how do I do that? And so something that you'll find in this book is something called systems of excellence. And what, it, what that is, is just, you know, um, some processes or immediate things that you can put in place with your staff that is going to help build on the on the culture you've already started. And um, so the systems of excellence was something, you know, really important for me that I that I include in there, just that how piece. But the other thing that is important to me is just it's infused with so many stories of, of kids or of teachers or of parents that I've worked with or, you know, or seen others work with um, that I was able to highlight in this book, because I think that you can drive your point, your point home so clearly through a story. And you will see there are stories all throughout <laughs> this book um, that, you know, to hopefully just make that make the point that I was trying to make. I love that. And I love that you incorporated all of the different stakeholders into this concept, uh, because I think you're right when you said that you felt like parents are a little more overlooked. And I think sometimes, especially maybe in the administrative world, we know this, but it's easy to forget that allowing ourselves to be educators in the moment for everyone can uh, is an opportunity right like but sometimes it be if it can feel adversarial because a lot of times administrators are you know in, engaging with parents in maybe not the best ideal conditions right uh, especially if for the people who have stereotype in their head of what administrators do so I just think that's a really beautiful um, model that you're giving the world with that absolutely and the thing that you know I've learned so much through my years in education is, and I talk about this in the book too, that sometimes in order to reach that really hard to reach kid, you've got to reach the family because that trust issue, you're, you know, for whatever reason, they're not wanting to connect with you. And so often it's because of trauma that they've been faced or things they've been told at home or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. 
And um, I talk about that a lot, you know, that, you know, and I've got stories in there that talks about how there was a couple of times that I've had to, it wasn't until I bonded with the parent that I was able to bond with the child. And sometimes that has to be in the, in the child's home, you know, that they, that they start to see, whoa, you know, okay, I can trust this person. And the parents walls start to come down. And when that happens, the doors open to be able to reach a child. Absolutely. Such good points. And yeah, I always think about the fact that, you know, as an educator, you once you realize that you're the topic of conversation at the dinner table, just like you had (laughs) conversations about your educators at home, it's kind of a daunting thing, but it also (laughs) allows you the opportunity to realize that that's not, you know, those are bridges that that you can make. And that's really cool. Yeah. Okay, so how about this one? With that book, I just one more question before we move off onto some other areas of mentorship in your life. What is it if somebody were to pick up the book? What is the main thing that you want them to be able to gain and learn from this labor of love that you created? Okay, so the two most important things that I think that we've got to hold on to in education and really in life, you know, in order to be successful in serving others and losing ourselves in the service of others is that we've got to hold on to compassion, but we've also got to hold on to grit. And so often, you know, we sit around and, you know, and maybe you can relate, you've been in that data meeting before and you start talking about Johnny and you say, poor Johnny, you know, he's, you know, his circumstance at home or, you know, his home life, or maybe he's got that learning disability. And we use that bless your heart mentality of, you know, we almost write them off from achieving high at high levels because of their circumstances. And so, yes, I think we need to fill ourselves with compassion for people, but we've also got to have the grit to help them rise above it and teach them that they can, no matter what circumstances you're faced with, you can still rise above it, or you can still find the beauty in your circumstances, you know, and And so I think that's the main thing that I want people to be taken away with is, whoa, like there's lots of stories in here that, you know, how maybe it started out with a sad situation or maybe it was a happy situation, but I want them to see the grit that that educators have to no matter what, we're going to get these kids through it and we're going to help every single kid reach success. Every student, every day, no matter what it takes, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love what you're saying. Um, and, and the passion that you have, I can just tell that you have the biggest heart and so much great experience and wisdom behind you. And so listeners, make sure that you get a copy of Multiply Excellence, and we'll make sure to link that in the show notes so you know exactly where to get that. And I think it's a really, what you just said, even though you would never have planned that, seems to me to be a great opportunity to just share a little bit more about you, Emily, because we were able to chat just a little bit, the pre-chat. And one of the things that the listeners know about this podcast is we get deep and we're really authentic. And I think that right now, more than ever, we need to see one another and educators as real people with real lives that are multidimensional. And we're more than just our jobs. Like we're more than just the careers that we hold. We are so much more full in our lives than just that. And I think that you have a compassion and grit story in your own life that has served uh, to mentor others. So would you be willing to share a little bit about your personal journey with that? Yeah. And, and I talk about this in the book as well, you know, that I think that it's important that we, that we know it's, it's, it's okay to share about our personal journeys because that's how we can help each other, you know, through life. But, um, this journey is just something that was a, a pivotal point in my life, first of all, but also in me as an educator. And, and, um, 
so I was 24 years old and, you know, all my life I had, had pretty, I lived a really, really blessed life. I came from a good family, you know, and, and, um, had so many opportunities and, and things were really good for me. And then 24 was when my first curveball hit. And, you know, defining moments can be such a funny thing because sometimes they sneak up on you when you least expect them. And other times, you know, full well that something's on the horizon. But the trick is that neither of those prepares your heart any better for how to react. And so my husband and I were ready at the time to start growing our family. And I was a very private person. I didn't talk about, you know, um, about things like that to anybody. And so we were struggling with infertility. And so it had been several years. And finally, you know, I I go to the doctor and I find out very quickly from my doctor, you know, it's not in the cards. It's not in the cards for y'all. You're not you're not going to be able to have biological children. And so um, that was the first time that I was like slapped in the face with um, complete brokenness. And I mean, that that was just I was it rocked me. It rocked me. And I was devastated. And um, and so you know, I just remember, I mean, like I spent three days on the couch and I just finally, and I just was grieving the loss of something I had always anticipated for my life. And I remember thinking to myself, Emily, get up, you know, start moving. Even if you don't know where you're going, just move forward. And uh, so, you know, for that year, it was a struggle, but I just kept trying to move forward. And I remember people would say things to me like, Hey, you never know. That's just one doctor. Go get a second opinion. Or I'm sorry, you know, you could always adopt or, you know, have you ever heard, you know, I mean, they just had tried to come up with that plan B for me. And in those moments, I just remember I wanted to smack them in the face. I mean, you know, I just thought, no, you know, like I want to, I just need to grieve plan A, the fact that plan A is not going to happen. And, um, that was one of the biggest things that I learned was that it's okay to be sad. You know, we're going to face brokenness in life. And sometimes we just need to take the time to grieve. And I needed someone to tell me that. (laughs) And, um, so then, you know, I go through that year and it's just a struggle. And then, and this is when I was teaching third grade, I had a student and I I talk about him in the the book and I can't remember his name in the book. Um, I change all their names. And so I'm just going to call him Michael, but I can't remember his name in the book, but Michael, you know, I had this kid named Michael in my class and in first grade, his mom had passed away in a car wreck. And then in second grade, he was living with his grandparents and his grandmother passed away. And then he's in third grade, you know, with me and he's living in a broken, broken world. And I remember just looking at him thinking, oh, you know, if only I, I had such a bond with that kid, you know, and just I he was so brilliant. And I remember, you know, I would anytime I would be reading a book to the class, he would just be lighting up his eyes and his little mouth would move when I was reading. And he just we just had this connection. And I kept thinking, if only I could take him home, you know, and I wanted to I wanted to save Michael and I wanted to be able to provide him the things that were missing in his life. But I knew that it was out of my control, you know, to help them in him in the way I wanted to. And so slowly, you know, um, my heart started being shaped toward a different calling. And my husband and I decided that we wanted to adopt a child. And so um, this was about a year later after finding out the news. And um, so we get, we quickly, long, I won't tell too, you know, just for time's sake, but we quickly get matched within one week. We're matched with a baby. And, um, but the birth mother was only four four weeks pregnant. So we had to wait eight months. And um, so anyway, but, you know, that entire time, you know, as I was facing such grief in my own life, 
the thing is that you can find no matter what you're going through when you're when you're facing hard times, there is always beauty to be found, you know, but we've got to seek those opportunities. And so we had a chance after we got matched in August. And then in October, we had the opportunity to actually fly out and meet the birth mother and spend some time with her and get to know her. And so what I started seeing that I did just didn't understand pre, um, you know, pre-adoption, I didn't, I never had that compassion for parents, for my students' parents at the time. And so I would look at, at my daughter's name is Avery, and I would look at her birth, birth mother and see, you know, that she had this brokenness to her, but she still loved her child that she was going to give us. And um, my heart just started you know, being shaped and I was being filled with compassion for these parents that we are so quick to judge. Mm. And so, um, then, you know, we, we adopt, um, we adopt Avery. She was born in February and, um, you know, we always think that, you know, uh, many people who haven't adopted, you know, they, they see the joy of adoption on social media and you think, wow, what a beautiful thing. But what people really don't realize is that adoption begins with brokenness and it begins with trauma. And it was the hardest, hardest day of my life saying goodbye to her birth mother. And, um, you know, she will always be held in the highest honor in our home. And we absolutely love her. And Avery knows about her and we cherish, you know, our time that we got to spend with her. And I say all that to say is, you know, that we go through um, battles in life and, um, and, we have a choice. You know, we have a choice to let um, comparison of what we don't have in life steal our joy because comparison is an evil and deceptive enemy, or we can choose to find the beauty. And so I talk about that a lot in the book about, you know, our, our battles are hard simply because they're the hardest thing that we're going through at that time. And it is, it is okay to grieve. And it is, you know, and sometimes we just need to hear that. But then we've also got to, we've got to choose to see the beauty. And I don't know if you've ever read the poem, Welcome to Holland before. Have you heard of that? I haven't, but I bet it's the time I need to. <laughs> oh my goodness. It is just a beautiful, you need to, Okay. Whoever's listening, when you're finished, just sign off and go read Welcome to Holland. It's a quick, quick little poem or essay that was written by um, Emily Kingsley, I believe. And it just talks about, you know, that you you think that you're headed down. You've got this plan A for life, right? And we all have these beautiful plans. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're. It, she compares it to that you're about to go on a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. And she talks about all the things that you're doing to plan your trip to Italy. And then all of a sudden you're on the plane and the stewardess comes on and says, welcome to Holland. And all of a sudden you've landed in a totally different place and it's a totally different flight plan and you're just devastated. But then she talks about how, you know, then you begin to see, you've got to look around and you've got to find the beauty. And you notice that Holland does have those windmills and Holland has tulips and Holland has Rembrandts. And, um, you know, that even though you may always mourn the fact that you didn't get to go to Italy, if you keep on doing that, you'll never be free to enjoy the very special things about Holland. And so just going down that journey taught me so much about, you know, the, the grief process, but also just the compassion process, you know, and having compassion for others and, and using your own story to fill yourself with love and service for others. You know, even though you may not have gone through the exact same thing, we all know what it's like to be in broken situations. And so when we meet 
students or parents or anybody in life who are facing hard times, when we start with compassion, it is going to be a much easier journey <laughs> in, in, in helping pull them out of it. And um, so, yeah, that, that personal journey of mine was a huge turning point in my life and how I approach, you know, and teachers as well, you know, just, and it could be something so small of, you know, that they're struggling with some classroom management, but, you know, just knowing that starting point and, and when we begin with that right approach, um, it's a totally different outcome. Well, first, I need to tell you that I could listen to you tell this story for a long time. You know, when you said you'll go the short version, I'm going, no, keep going. It truly is compelling. And it's clearly a story that was given to you to share. And I thank you for that, because I know that especially since you said when you started out with your infertility journey or that experience, you weren't in a space of sharing. And that is very vulnerable. It's a it's a scary thing to do that. And here you are having this one on one conversation with me that listeners will be hearing. But how powerful that you're just sitting here mentoring us and the layers that you've just provided with this personal story that not only is um, impactful, whether a person has had that same experience or not is irrelevant because you've just taken this beautiful story and created an, um, you know, an empathetic connection to multiple <laughs> ways that it applies. And so thank you for that. You know, it's not, and it's not over by any means, right? Because I'm sure that I don't have that personal experience myself, but I know many people. And as you said, um, you know, there's a compassion that builds inside of you. And I'm sure that for the rest of your life as Avery's mom, there's going to be reminders, you know, through the milestones. And I'm sure that you'll have more wisdom to keep, you know, sharing as you grow yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, just whatever, whatever anybody is facing, whether it be, you know, a death in the family or a divorce or a sudden career change or, you know, and whenever we're broken and we're so clouded that we just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, because I think we've all been there at some point in life. And if you haven't yet, you will be what we've, you know, we can always look for the opportunity that we're not yet seeing. And so just praying for his healing and praying that God's glory be revealed and taking it one day at a time, that's, that's what we've got to do. And that's what we've got to, when we exude that, um, that mindset and that type of thinking, then it's going to, we are able to better pour ourselves into others, you know, and just to better understand others when they're struggling, even if we haven't been through that exact thing that they've been through, we understand what it's like to be broken. That nothing is wasted, right? No. Nothing. Yeah. We can choose yeah. that. That's so beautiful. And how inspiring. I'm so thank you for going there with me. I'm so glad that we got yeah. to share that piece of your story on the podcast. I know my listeners are going to appreciate that from you too. And I'm sad that we're toward the end. How can that already be, Emily? I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I probably took too long telling it, but <laughs> no, what I'm saying is I want it to keep going. And I know, um, so, but the good news is now we've got this book that we can keep getting more of your stories. So are you ready for the two standard questions that I always have on this podcast? Sure. All right. Absolutely. Awesome. I can't wait to hear your responses. So the first one is, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? One of the things that um, that I that I think all women especially struggle with is comparison. And whether we are comparing in a way of feeling sorry for ourselves of what we don't have or comparing in a way of 
thinking that someone else's needs to get it together, <laughs> you know, and comparison is such a deceptive, you know, is such an enemy is so evil. And so, um, our battles, I think what I would say to myself would be that, you know, your battles are hard simply because they are the hardest thing that you're going through at that time in your life. And whether you are 16 years old going through a breakup or you are 22 years old, not knowing what career you want to choose for your life, or you are 33 years old struggling with, you know, my grandmother right now is just really, really sick. You know, I mean, we are all going through different things in life and whatever it is, it's the hardest thing you're going through right now. And I wish that I had told myself at the time that I was struggling with that and for infertility, because I would look at others and think, well, at least I didn't lose a child or at least I didn't, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And that comparison doesn't do you any favors. <laughs> and so, you know, stop comparing to others' tra tragedies or your own and just grieve and lean on God for comfort. That's what I wish I could look back and have told myself at the time. Mm, so beautiful. And I'm glad that you you continued with that answer because I think it is very powerful and so many different layers. And I, I remember a recent Brené Brown podcast episode that talked about comparative suffering, which sounds like, you know, what you were referencing. So that, you know, that, and I think that is so prevalent right now <laughs> um, during the pandemic when there's so much change and loss and universal loss and individual loss. So I think that your, your message must be right on time for people. Okay. How about this one? Um, if, if listeners are finding themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what could you say to help them rise up out of it? I would I mean, it kind of just taking, coming back to, um, that brokenness or when you're scared and you, you know, because when we're scared, <laughs> when we have fear, we can't see past what we're facing right then. You know, and we were just stuck at what, what we're, what we're going through. And so I guess, I think my advice would be that when you're broken and, and you're so clouded and you just can't see beyond what you're facing, you can't see beyond, um, and see the light at the end of the tunnel that we've got to look past it and try to look for opportunities, you know, that we're not yet seeing for our life, even though we're going to go through hard things, there's still always an opportunity, you know, and through even through this pandemic right now, we are all in fear of this pandemic, but we've got to look beyond it and see the opportunities because if we keep on hoping for normal and hoping for things to go back to normal, we're never going to be able to move forward to better. And so, you know, we've got to see beyond what this pandemic is right now and think about in the future, you know, how we can move forward to better for the future. And so I think that in doing that, the way you do that is that you pray for healing, you pray for God's glory to be revealed, and you just take it one day at a time. And you hold on to that compassion and you hold on to that grit. <laughs> That's good. That's awesome. Hold on to the compassion and grit spoken like a true mentor. Well, I am so grateful that I had the chance to connect with you, Emily. And I'm really grateful that my listeners got to hear you today. And I will be sure to link um, Multiply Excellence so that they can get a hold of that. But what also would you say is the best way for listeners to get in touch with you if they'd like to continue to engage with you after this interview? Yeah. Um, so I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Voxer. And my username on all three is the same. It's Emily A. Pascal, E-M-I-L-Y-A-P-A-S-C-H-A-L-L. -L. Awesome. Well, I will make sure to link that. So listeners, it's easy to get a hold of Miss Emily. I know they're going to want to. And I just want to thank you once again for this awesome, inspiring interview. I'm so grateful that you took the time to have this conversation with me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It was an honor. 
I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.